All right, it is uh, good to be together. How are you doing? I hope you had a uh, fantastic week. We really had a good week here at the church. Uh, we had an elders retreat, as Huey was saying, and uh, we really had a, a great time together. It's good to be an elder, and I am uh, so thankful for the men God's given CBC to serve this church and for me to serve alongside and uh, we had a great time talking about how we're growing and how God is changing us and at work in our lives and where we need to grow and uh, talking about taking the gospel out which is one of our favorite subjects as Christians we've got this great message and it's really a joy to think about how can we get this message out and uh, we talked a lot about how do we equip you as members to do the work of the ministry. And so part of personal holiness, actually, is being concerned about other people's holiness. So I am not holy if the only person's holiness I'm concerned about is my own holiness. Part of personal holiness is being concerned about other people's holiness. And God has gifted you as a church to speak the truth in love and to help others grow in their relationship with Christ. And so we really had a great time talking about Ephesians chapter 4, helping you follow Jesus and also helping you help others follow Jesus. That's a big part of our goal as leaders. So I'm excited. And I am excited now to spend some time talking about prayer. We've been talking about prayer for a pretty long time now, actually. I think this is week number five. And today we're going to finally talk about asking God for stuff. Or you could say we're going to talk about making personal prayer requests. Or some people call this petitionary prayer. In other words, when you're standing there praying, what you're asking God for in regards to yourself and even in regards to others, what do you ask God for? If you'll take your Bible and open to Luke chapter 11, we're looking at Luke chapter 11 where Jesus is teaching us what to ask God for. And one, I want to talk about why it's important to ask God. So that is first. We're going to see first the importance of petitionary prayer. And two, I want to give you some guidance on how you should ask God and specifically what you should be asking God for. So why it's important, one, and two, how and what you should be asking God for. And it's taken us a little while to get here, really, because we spent a couple weeks looking at the beginning of this prayer, which is actually all about God. When Jesus teaches on prayer, he begins with God. There's not a lot of you and me in there at the beginning. It's God. Jesus tells us in verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And it took us a little while to get those, through those phrases. And even though it took us a little while to get through those phrases, it's really important to start there because we naturally don't. If you listen to a lot of people's prayers, and sometimes even our prayers. There's not a lot of God in them. And it sounds a little strange to say that, I know, but in a lot of, people, a lot of people's prayers, maybe the word God is there, but he's not there in terms of their attitude. They're not really depending on God. They're depending on their own efforts. In terms of their mindset, 
They're not fearing God as they pray. They're talking to God like he is their servant. In terms of their desires, they're not even thinking really about what God wants. They're more focused on what they think needs to happen, which is a problem, obviously, to pray without God. To pray without God is just talking to yourself, and that's why we've been emphasizing gospel-driven praying. Father, God-centered praying, hallowed be thy name, future-focused praying, your kingdom come. And you remember, I even gave you a couple of words to help so that you can pray according to Jesus's pattern, kind of like guidelines to help you focus as you approach God in prayer. And there was first, believe the gospel. Don't just rush in. Believe. Take some time to meditate on the relationship that you have with God because of Jesus. And then second, remember, you're talking to God. Set God apart in your heart. Before you talk to anyone, it's important to remember who you're talking to. And so remind yourself, who is God in this relationship and who is not? And third, hope. That was last week. Hope in God's great future plan. You do hope, but adjust your hopes as you pray. Fix your hopes on your hope. Reflect on God's agenda, what he's wanting to happen, what he's promised in scripture, and work through prayer, on getting your desires back in line with his promises. So how do you pray? You believe, you remember, you hope, and today you ask. You ask. That's the fourth word. And this is like the next step, and it's an important step. As we look at this phrase in verse 3 and what it can teach us about asking God for stuff, give us this day our daily bread, the very first thing you could say, point number one under ask, is that it's important biblically. Asking God for help is a command. Why do we ask God for stuff? One reason, he tells us to. So I don't know, it maybe sounds spiritual for someone to say, I never ask God for anything. I just praise, I just worship. But it's not spiritual. Because Jesus is teaching us here to make personal requests of God. Give us each day our daily bread. In other words, Jesus is teaching you to come to God and say, God, give. That's the very first word there in verse 3, give. You're talking to God and you're saying, give. Not in an arrogant way. In fact, really in a humble way, like beggars, because that's who asks for daily bread. Rich people don't ask for bread generally. Beggars ask for bread. And while most of us don't like having beggars come and ask us to give, we had some beggars who would knock at our gate. We had gates in South Africa, knock at our gates on a regular basis. And when I would see them out there, sometimes I would be a little tired to go out. Most of us, many of us, don't really love having beggars come to our, our house and ask for bread, but God is not like most of us. Jesus is telling us he wants us to think of ourselves like beggars dependent on God. Be a beggar, Jesus is saying, in relationship to God. Depend completely on God. Ask. 
And I think part of why we need to stress that we need to learn depend, to depend completely on God is because this is really hard, especially maybe for us as Americans. We're growing up in a culture where people want you to be self-sufficient. I want to be self-sufficient. You probably want to be self-sufficient. When I think about my life, there's a lot of my life where I've been wanting to get to the point where I don't have to depend on anyone. If I I think about what I like, I don't like feeling needy. (laughs) I want to be able to just rely on myself, which seems normal, and you, you can make excuses, but is ultimately a spiritual problem because it's not how Jesus wants us to be in our relationship with God. He wants you to be 100% completely God-dependent. Or maybe we could say it like this. You are 100% God-dependent, and he wants you to recognize it, which is hard. There's a uh, pastor who talks about common obstacles to prayer in a book called Christ Formed in You, and So, for example, one obstacle to prayer is legalism, and that's where you think of prayer as just this duty, like a burden. So we get upset at ourselves when we talk about prayer. I want to be a good Christian. Why is prayer so hard for me? And we almost get upset at God as well for even commanding us to pray, when really prayer is such grace. It's a privilege. Another obstacle to prayer would be unbelief, and that's sometimes a failure to believe in God and what he says about prayer, but often it's a failure to believe God's character, that he's kind and that he's good and that he's generous. Legalism, unbelief, those are obstacles to prayer. But another big obstacle is self-sufficiency. We don't like feeling needy. We don't think of ourselves as needy. We like being able to deal with our own problems. We rely on ourselves. Which, of course, first of all, is a delusion. That's, that's the thing. You are dependent in about a million different ways. You're not making your heart beat. You're not enabling yourself to breathe. You're not the source of oxygen. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of silly, but we are designed needy. It is built into the package, and us acting like we can be anything else is actually delusional, and worse It's sin when it comes to our relationship with God. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus shows us we are supposed to ask God for help. It's important. And as we look at the rest of the New Testament, God commands us to make requests. Take Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 as an example. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and this is at the end of that whole section on Uh, spiritual armor, your armor that you're supposed to put on, and this is actually the longest part of that section. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul tells us we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, and that word supplication is a big word for making requests. If you look it up in a Greek dictionary, it is, quote, to make known one's particular need. In the New Testament, supplication is prayer for particular benefits, prayer for oneself. In other words, it's asking God for help, and we are to work hard at this. Paul adds, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints. And this is a command. It's not optional. Not asking is not strong. Not asking it is not, I like to do things myself. Not asking God is sin. That's one passage, Ephesians 6.18. Another is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. In Philippians 4, 6, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplications, with thanksgivings, let your requests be made known to God. We all pray, but most of us actually pray to ourselves. That's called anxiety. That's called worry. You're praying to yourself. Paul says, instead of praying to yourself in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Praising God is important. Worshiping God is important. And coming to God and making specific requests of God and asking God for help about what's happening in your life right now is important. First of all, because it's a command. And second of all, because it's a way of glorifying God. Sometimes there are people I know who get a little philosophical and they get into debates about why God has us asking for all things. And obviously, however you answer, you know it's not because God needs help knowing your needs. He's not up in heaven wondering what's going on in your life. And it's certainly not because he needs advice about what needs to happen, but at least one part of the answer is because this is a way we honor God. If we make a habit to express our dependence on God in everything, because that's ultimately what this is about. If we ask God, give us each day our daily bread, that request is about recognizing our absolute dependence on God in all things verbally in prayer. We're not assuming it, We're expressing it, and we express it as a way of glorifying God. So one way you make God look great in prayer is by talking about his character. Another way you make God look great in prayer is by talking about his promises. But look, another way you make God look great in prayer is by showing how much you need him, by asking him to help you. And looking back, we can see this is a way that God has been glorified in church history, really, through his people's dependence. I think, for example, about George Mueller. And you know George Mueller, who started all those orphanages in England a number of years ago. And one reason he started those orphanages was as an opportunity. He was looking for an opportunity to demonstrate his dependence on God in all things for the world to see. And I mean all things down to the smallest things, like what are we going to eat tonight? And he worked hard at praying specifically about it seems like everything. And as a result, he had all these amazing stories about the way in which God provided. And those answered prayers became a real testimony, a force actually, in the 1800s in England. It was hard for unbelievers to argue with George Mueller because they saw the way God was answering his prayers and that dependence on God as he was praying encouraged believers as well. And so while in some ways, if you read George Mueller's story, he was unique, I mean, he was really an interesting character, in this way, he really wasn't. This is just what Christians do. They ask God, they depend. And God glorifies himself through their dependence. 
dependence. It's important because it's a command. It's important because it's a way we glorify God. It's important because it's a way we express humility. You are not God. You are a creature, not the creator. And that should be obvious to all of us. But the problem is, as we grow up, we develop all these habits of life where it's like we are acting like we are God. And we fight that as Christians, those habits, we fight through petitionary prayer. Every time you ask God for help, it's like you are confessing you are a creature. You, you can't really take care of yourself. You are dependent. You need God to take care of you. It is a confession of humility. It is an expression of faith. Why do you ask God for stuff? It's because you believe he's sovereign. It's because you believe he's involved in what's going on in this universe. He has the power to do something, and he cares. Petitionary prayer is a way of us saying, I need you, God. I look at you, and you are infinite. You are God. You have no needs, and you don't need to ask me to do anything because you don't need me, but I do need you. It's almost like an act of rebellion, petitionary prayer, actually, if you think about it, because there is this way of looking at the world that is constantly being pressed upon us. That things are just the way they are and you can't really do anything about it. It's just you. You just have to figure out a way to deal with it. Just try to get by. God can't do anything. And why would he do anything if he could? That's kind of the world system, right? In petitionary prayer, though, we're saying, no, no, I rebel against that way of thinking about the world. Life is hard. And I know this is how it is right now, but it's not how the world's supposed to be. And yeah, I may not be able to do anything about it on my own. You're right, in my own strength. I can't fix everything, but there is a God who cares. There is a God who is active. There is a God who can fundamentally change things. And I am going to him and I am going to ask for his help. Which should be kind of easy but is actually often incredibly difficult for us to humble ourselves like that, or even really to remember to ask. We don't ask because we're just going, going, we're busy, and because we're a little proud, I think, which may be why the Bible gives us so many encouragements to obey this command. Even here in Luke, 11, verse 9, after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus wants to make sure you know how much God wants you to ask by saying, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened, which is a, a big promise, and you kind of have to work through what it means exactly, and we will. But we can all see at the very least that Jesus wants to encourage you to ask for God's help. He says, ask and it will be given to you. It is like, hey, God wants you to do this. God's not like a lot of people. A lot of people don't want to help. And yeah, sure, they might help if you ask, maybe, but they don't want to. It's kind of like when we were newly married and Marta would ask me to take out the trash while I was watching basketball games or something. I was 
oh, I would always do the sigh. And she's like, Josh, why do you always do the sigh? I thought, it's impossible not to do the sigh. I'm watching a basketball game, but really it is possible not to do the sigh. It was selfishness. I didn't want to help as much as I should have. And God's not like that. We serve an unbelievably generous God. You want your best, but God wants your best more than you do. In fact, when you ask God for help, you're asking someone who is more interested in your long-term good than you are. And he's proven that. You can't ask God for stuff that is bigger than what he already gave you, if you think about it. Imagine asking someone for eternal life. God says it's yours. Imagine asking someone for the forgiveness of all your sins. God says it's done. Imagine asking someone for constant access to the most important person in the universe. God says you have it. Or imagine asking someone to be constantly looking out for your good, making plans for your future, always to always be present to help you with what's happening in your life. God says, you've got it. You can't ask God for too much. You can't ask God too often. You need to ask. This is important. The problem's not asking. The problem is that it's possible to ask in the wrong way, which may seem a little strange at first because this, you would think, would be the one part of prayer that would be simple. But the reality is you need to be thinking about what you're asking and how you're asking because it's possible to ask wrongly. Bold print, wrongly. That's James chapter 4, verse 3. And you might want to turn there for a minute. You know James. Apparently there were these people that James was writing to who were having fights and quarrels. And in verse 2, James says, you are having fights with each other, James 4, verse 2, because you're not praying to God. It's real straight. That's his explanation. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And that's the end of verse 2. But then he knows someone's going to say, ah, James, you're wrong. We are praying, but we're not getting anything. And so James is like, verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. In other words, there's something wrong about the way you're making requests of God. And in James 4, you know what's wrong. It's not a lack of faith that is the problem he points to. It's selfish desires. You ask wrongly, he says, to spend it on your own pleasures. One of the reasons God doesn't answer your prayers is because you're not thinking about what's motivating the requests you're making of God. And so those requests are actually wrong requests because they're not flowing out of the gospel. They're not connected to what's true, to reality. And look, because this is where I'm really headed. One, we need to ask God for help. That's what this petition teaches us. We're commanded to ask God. It's not unspiritual. It's important. It glorifies God. It humbles us. It expresses faith. It's a way of rebelling against this world system. We should ask God. We're encouraged to ask by God's promises, by God's character. But two, we need to think about what we ask. What do you ask God for? You have to Look at your prayer life, your prayer requests, and evaluate. Are you talking to God like an unbeliever? And that's a pretty tough question, I know. But one problem in the church is that many Christians aren't asking. 
Another problem is that many of those who are are actually asking like unbelievers. I mean, here we have this privilege as Christians that's, that's almost beyond belief, honestly. As we go through life, at any moment, we can talk to the one who made everything and who's in charge of it all. That's awesome. And, he, and, and you don't have to worry if he has the power to help you because he created the whole universe. And you don't have to worry whether he wants to help you because he sent his son to die for you. He is for you because of Jesus, which is this huge privilege, and yet it's a privilege you're going to want to use well. It's, it's, almost, it's like a responsibility. Not because God's going to hate you if you ask the wrong thing or something, but just because it's such an incredible opportunity. I get to talk to God. Even with an important human, really, you would think a little. Like, imagine you get to talk to the president. If Joe Biden calls you up and he says he'll give you some time to talk and you can ask for anything. And so they fly Air Force One or whatever plane they fly out to get people to fly you to Washington tomorrow and they bring you into the White House, right into the Oval Office, and Biden's sitting there and he says, okay, tell me what you think. And you look him straight in the eye and you say, do you have any coffee? Or, or you're like, you know, my next door neighbor plays his music a little too loud. I was wondering if you could do something about that. And that's all you've got. Like, you, 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 beyond that, it's just sort of like, blah, blah, blah. That is a seriously wasted moment. And obviously, God's better than any human president. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He is good, and he's kind, and he's generous. He's not looking at his watch while you're there talking or anything. And there's a sense in which, yes, it's like you're a child, and you're supposed to just go into God and talk. And we don't want to make this more complicated than it is. And so I'm not saying not to share your requests and be honest about what you want or not to share what's going on in your heart. But I am saying, as you're sharing, to be looking at what you're actually asking of God and thinking, does this match up with what I know to be true, with what's real? Because what we believe should impact us all the way down to what we ask of God when, our, when we're on our knees in prayer. And what we ask of God when we're on our knees in prayer should flow out of what we say we believe about God and the gospel. And, you know, I wonder if you're asking God for help, first of all, at all. And if you are, that's good. That's like one step further than many people, honestly. But if you are, I wonder if you've ever looked at what you're asking God and said, does this make sense for me to be asking this? In other words, if you've ever looked at what you're always asking God for and feeling most urgent about and said, what does this request say about what I believe? Or you can come at it from the other angle and ask, what does a person who believes the gospel want? And what does he feel like he needs as he goes to God? And you have to think about that because it doesn't just come naturally. Like, hey, I'm a believer. I go to church. So whatever I want is going to be right. Because a lot of the time, it's not. And, you know, even going back to the people James was talking to in James 4, who he says are asking wrongly. 
In verse 4, he says the problem is, catch this, even though they were religious, they were motivated in prayer by the same basic priorities that were motivating unbelievers. And so even though they were saying they were Christians and going to church, and even though they were going through the motions of prayer, the gospel wasn't impacting their prayer life. They were talking to God like unbelievers, and God didn't like it, which is why James says in verse 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And you have to kind of follow the flow there. James says you're fighting with each other because you're not asking God for help. And when you do ask God, you're not thinking about what you're asking him for. And so you're motivated in prayer by what motivates everyone else. And this is a big deal because it's spiritual adultery. Your relationship with others and even your prayer life is giving evidence of a deeper problem in your life, spiritual adultery. You may look like a believer, but you're having an affair with the world, and that is showing up in what you pray for. And so this is a big deal, obviously. And if it's this big a deal, we need to reflect on how what we say we believe should impact what we feel like we need from God right now? What do you feel like you need from God right now? What would it, in other words, look like to make requests of God like someone who really believes in the gospel? And this is where this passage can really help us, Luke 11, 3 and following, because Jesus is giving us three requests we need to ask. It's important asking, but, but how? What do we ask God for? Jesus gives us three requests in verse 3 and 4. One having to do with our physical life, another having to do with our mental life, and a third having to do with our spiritual life. And we're focusing on just the first request today, which has to do with our physical life, because I think this sometimes feels the most complicated, at least to me. This is where it's confusing. Because if you just wrote down a list of all the stuff on your heart right now, physical needs-wise, that you felt was really urgent and you were honest, and you evaluated and said, well, do I really need this? Do I need to talk to God about this? Does it matter? It's confusing. Because sometimes, no, you you don't need it. (laughs) It's just other people telling you you need it. And that's why it feels so urgent. And sometimes it's just us telling us we need it. I have to have this. And we don't actually need it. And sometimes we really do need it. It's not like everything on our list is wrong. Because we do have real physical needs as Christians. And we have real physical things we want. And as Christians, we don't say those are not real or important. In fact, there was a heresy called Gnosticism. And one thing Gnosticism taught was that the physical world was evil and that all that mattered was the spiritual world. And so really spiritual people weren't concerned about physical things and they didn't talk to God about that. And well, that can sort of sound right. It's not how the Bible sees things or Jesus either. In Luke eleven three, he says, this is how you should pray. Say to God, give us this day our daily bread. And that's not metaphorical. He says, 
that we need to ask God for our daily bread because he knows we have physical needs and we shouldn't feel ashamed of feeling like we need them and going to God and asking for help because we're supposed to be making requests. And yet the thing is, we can't just mindlessly be making requests. We have to look at those requests because it's possible to ask wrongly and really to be motivated by the same thing that's motivating the world. And again, I'm saying that's the part that's not always so easy to identify what's motivating us. If it were just spiritual requests are good and physical requests are bad, it wouldn't be hard. That would be simple. You could just cross off everything on your list that's not spiritual. If it's physical, then that must be something you shouldn't ask God for. But we can't do that because that's heresy. That's not the way the Bible sees life, which means we're going to need some help evaluating our desires and what we think we need. And Jesus gives it if we go back to the Lord's Prayer. It sets us on the right track. It's like, okay, start here. How do I ask? I need to ask. I need to live a dependent life. But how do I ask? First, I believe God's my father, which means I believe I'm part of his family, and he loves me, and I have access to him, and I have a relationship with him, and he wants to know my needs. And second, I believe hallowed be your name, which means I believe he's holy, and he's important, and he's not just anybody, and that the whole universe revolves around him, and that he's the purpose of everything we see, and the reason we're on the planet is to bring him glory, and Third, I believe your kingdom come, which means I'm looking forward to this future reality where I'm, going to see, where I'm going to see what's happening up in heaven, happen here on earth, and wickedness defeated, and pain gone, and death gone. And so if I believe all that, what next? In other words, if God's for me, if God's more important than me, if my hope is in Jesus' return, what should I be asking God for in terms of me? My physical needs what I really feel urgent about. And again, I know you maybe have all these other wants that you talk to God about. I'm not saying you don't. But you know their wants, and they're in a different category than what you feel you need. And one reason I think looking at the Lord's Prayer is so helpful is because, honestly, my wants are broken. I know that I can't trust them. I mean, we all have wants and needs even, and that's not wrong, but it's sometimes confusing to sort out because we want everything. And even with our needs, what we say to ourselves we need, it's hard to trust that because we feel like we need everything and we can come up with a whole bunch of reasons we need it. And so making requests isn't easy. In fact, it's like you need help from Jesus even knowing what you need and what you should be asking of God, which is part of why I think Jesus gives it here in the Lord's Prayer or at least gives us an important place to start when he says, give us each day our daily bread. That's what you need. You need to ask God for your daily bread. What's that? Bread, fortunately, isn't too hard a word to understand because you know what bread means in the original Greek? Bread. (laughs) It means bread. It means the stuff you eat. And yet I think you can safely broaden it out and say it's a symbol for the basic physical things you need to survive and do what God's called you to do. In other words, what's bread? Martin Luther says, bread is everything necessary for the preservation of this life, including food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, peace. And maybe the only thing I would add is also the advancement of God's agenda, everything necessary for the advancement of God's agenda. 
So what should you be asking God for? If you believe he's your father and if his glory is what matters and if you're longing for his kingdom, you know what you're asking God for? You're asking God to provide everything you need to serve him and do what he's called you to do today. That's what we can say we need, which is challenging if you're hearing it right for a couple of reasons. First of all, because Jesus is obviously not talking about luxuries, right? He says bread, and bread is not luxuries, especially when you're talking daily bread. This is not yearly bread. This is daily bread. In fact, there was a pastor who highlighted something I hadn't seen before, and that was the fact that Jesus was living in this time in which farming played a huge role in life, especially where he was from, from Galilee. And so obviously farmers, they thought about food in terms of the year. So farmers thought about yearly food because they had this whole cycle of sowing and, and harvesting. But God had given farmers some pretty specific instructions because they had all this food and he wanted them to be generous. And so he wanted them to help people who didn't, the poor. And there were two types of poor that they were supposed to be looking out for. The first was the local poor. And farmers were instructed to provide for the local poor, the poor in town, about a week's worth of food. So they wouldn't have to come back and ask every day. And then second, there was the traveling poor, who were the poorest of the poor. They were going from town to town asking for help. And the farmers would only give them enough food for the day. So here you have these three groups of people in Jesus' day. Follow me now. You have the farmers who operated on a yearly cycle, and they were thinking of their yearly bread. And then you had the local poor who were operating on a weekly cycle, and they were thinking of their weekly bread. And then you had the poorest of the poor who operated on a daily cycle, and they were the ones wanting their daily bread. And that is what Jesus is telling us to ask God for. And so obviously the point is not that we're not allowed to have any money. If God gives us money, that's his choice. But really, instead, the point is that anything above what you need for today and tomorrow to serve Jesus is actually kind of luxury. And you shouldn't feel like you have a right to demand of God. Which I know makes me feel a little uncomfortable. That's intense. If we look at what we're complaining to God about or feeling discontent about, it's rarely daily bread. This is challenging because we have lots of things we feel we need, but the Bible's idea of what you need and your idea is pretty different, probably. I'm always convicted by the way Paul puts it in 1 Timothy 6. You might want to write this one down and look it up later because it's actually so <laughs> challenging. You have to make sure it's really in there. Because Paul is going to point out your needs in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6. so listen for it. He says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. And he's using the language of profit there. It's funny kind of how he's putting it. He says, you want to know what's really profitable. It's being godly and content. Why? Well, first, there's the obvious reason. This is verse 7, 1 Timothy 6. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. And then on top of that, there's a spiritual reason down in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare. You want to be content because contentment makes sense and contentment keeps you safe spiritually. And so this is important contentment. And we ask, what is this contentment Paul's talking about? 
Or even more specifically, maybe we ask, what does Paul think we need physically to be content? And this is verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Which is kind of like our daily bread, I'm saying. What does God say we need physically? Food and clothing. Which is not nearly as much as we are being told we need, is it? And so as you look at what you're asking God for, it's important to evaluate whether you're really asking for what you need or just demanding luxuries, not because you're never allowed to ask for things that seem like luxuries, and not because you're not allowed to want things that might seem like luxuries, but because when you receive them, you need to know what they are. They're, they're luxuries, and you need to be thankful. And when you don't receive them, you need to be careful that you don't start acting as if God hasn't been good. And you, you kind of have to be a little patient with me now over the next few years, <laughs> because I've been thinking about all this for years with people who were concerned about their daily bread. And so I know I'm in a little bit of a different setting now, but they didn't always have their daily bread, which meant they tended to be better at asking than some of us are, I think. They were asking, but their challenge often was thinking God hadn't been fair, and you can't expect me to seek the kingdom or be grateful because I'm always having to worry about just surviving, which you can empathize with and yet can become a little bit of an excuse, actually. And so we would have to look back at Scripture and say, what if, as you're looking at your life and what you have and what you don't have, what if God knows you? And what if he's your father and he knows what you can do? And what if his plans for you are good? And what if he's got this specific way that he wants to use you to glorify himself? And what if he's got this whole future where he's going to give you more than you can ever imagine? And so what if, in light of all that, he decided to give you exactly what you needed to do, what he's called you to do, so you could serve him and so he could bless you eternally? Would that be unfair? Just because it was less than someone else. I had to kind of encourage them. You have what you need if you have your daily bread. And I know maybe our challenge is a little different here, and I've been thinking this week, what is our challenge? And I, I think maybe part of our challenge is that we think having more than our daily bread is so much more important than it really is. It's a privilege to have more, but it's not always as helpful as you think. For one thing, because it often seems like the more bread we get, the more bread we think we need and can't live without, and we get so scared and so cautious that we don't step out because we haven't learned how to rely on God. I remember I was in Uganda many years ago, and I flew up there by myself, and there was a, a missionary friend who was supposed to meet me at the airport, and I'd forgotten to bring his phone number, actually. That wasn't the smartest move ever, but I got to the airport late at night, and he wasn't there. And it got later and later, and he, he wasn't there. And finally, it was just me standing outside with my bag and all these taxi drivers uh, looking at me like meat, kind of. And they kept telling me, he's not going to show up. He's not going to show up. He's not going to come pick you up. And I didn't know what to do. But I, I had a credit card, and so I didn't feel too frightened. And uh, I didn't have much cash because it was the end of the month, but I had a credit card. And I had one of the taxi drivers take me to this hotel in Kampala, but when I got there, I found out they didn't take credit cards. 
And I only had enough cash for one night, and I didn't have his number. And I'll tell you what I learned that night. I learned it's a lot easier to trust God when your credit card works. Many of us haven't been in situations where we've been forced to rely fully on God, and so sometimes we think we rely on God, but it's God and our credit cards or whatever. I guess if you're listening to Dave Ramsey, it's just God in your bank account. And as a result, though, sometimes we are so hesitant to step out and obey God because we don't appreciate just how good he is at taking care of us. I remember another time we were in Malawi, and Malawi was having a petrol crisis. They didn't have any, oh, gas. They didn't have any gas. And we were making uh, this journey across uh, Malawi, and they didn't have any, we only had so much gas. All the um, gas stations were out, but we had some gas, and we had planned it out, exactly how much gas we would need for this trip. We had an extra tank that we put on top of the car. And yet as we went on the trip, there were some unexpected places we had to go. And I so, so I started getting really, really worried. And I was, I was thinking, what if, what if, what if, you know? Watching every extra unintended mile go by. And then it struck me. God had, he's taken care of me. I was 38 years old. God has taken care of me every single day of my life for 38 years. Every day. And how crazy is it for me to go around worrying like he's suddenly going to stop doing what he's done every other day of my life? Having more resources sometimes tempts you to put your trust in those resources and miss out on the fact that those resources actually came from God. So it's, it's funny I'm saying because we sometimes think if God gives someone a lot of resources, that is an automatic demonstration of his love and, and blessing. I know that's the way a lot of people would think in Africa. You are blessed because you have so much. And it can be a blessing. But it also can be very dangerous because what happens when you have so much more than you need? Look at Europe. Look at us here in the United States. A lot of the time you find people sleeping spiritually. And sometimes that's because when you have your yearly bread, you stop feeling like you need to depend on God for your daily bread, which, of course, is a lie. It's not real. It's delusional. Because whether you're rich or poor, you always need God. But it's tempting if you're rich, I think, sometimes to stop feeling like you do. And when you stop feeling like you need God, it's easy for your relationship with God to grow cold. So that's one reason it's important that we as a church learn to pray the way Jesus tells us to. Give us this day our daily bread. You need to find a way to remember your dependency. How? That's part of the purpose of prayer. You can't be lazy about this. If you have more than you think you need, what should you do? One, make it a goal in your normal everyday times of prayer to actively remember how much you need God by asking for help in the specifics. Don't just assume. Ask. Two, look at what you do have and deliberately see God's hand behind it all. Express your gratitude. This is not my doing. This is from you, God. And ask him for help to believe that. 
Lord, please help me to appreciate just how dependent I am on you for everything that I have. Lord, help me not to trust in my abilities, but to see everything, even my ability to make money, as coming from you. Three, embrace the challenges God brings into your life as an opportunity to depend on him. Because we, all, we may have more than we need financially, but God's at work keeping us dependent. We all have needs. Even as we were moving back to the United States, we were thinking, oh, it's going to be so much easier there. We're going to have to be careful not to fall asleep. But, you know, God's been faithful. We've had some real challenges, other challenges, where it's been clear our only hope is to rely on him, and we're so thankful. It's like, oh, I'm dependent. I'm dependent. I can't do anything without you, God. That's one of the reasons I'm grateful for unanswered prayer, honestly. If God gave me everything I needed right away, I know that I would be tempted to stop depending on him, and so unanswered prayers keep me going back. Four, we can depend on God for the needs of others as well, because we're part of a worldwide church, and there are a lot of our brothers who are suffering, and we should be crying out to God for their daily bread as well. If you feel like you have more than you need, develop relationships with people who don't have more than they need, and don't try to be their savior. Instead, start by feeling with them and crying out to God alongside of them. Pray for their daily bread. Marta, we were talking uh, a while back about how selfish we can be, and we had a particular need, and uh, even our hearts were starting to pound a little bit about this particular need. And at the time that we had this particular need, we heard about someone else who had a, a brother who was sick or something like that, and and as we heard that, we were like, oh, that's too bad. But we didn't feel anything physically about that. And we were just thinking, isn't it funny when it comes to our needs, it gets even to be like a physical thing. But when it comes to other people's needs, how hard it is for us even to feel. And one way we can learn to feel for others is by crying out to God for their daily bread the way we might cry out to God for, for our own. Five, take time to think. What would be different about the way you were living if you were depending on God for your daily bread and then seek to live that way? And I don't know the full answer, but that's part of why we have a church. These are good things for us to be thinking about with one another because fear is so normal and so many people are enslaved by fear of the future and God's freed us from that. But it's easy for us to go back into that trap and so we have to help each other know what it looks like and what it means to live a life of dependence on God. It's important. It's a command. It glorifies God. It humbles us. It builds our faith. It's a way we resist the world system. The Bible's filled with encouragements to ask. God's given us all kinds of promises. We know God's character. We have the gospel. How do we ask? What do we ask for? Not like unbelievers, where we're just pursuing our own agenda, but like someone who believes the gospel and knows what he needs is for God to provide so that he can serve him today. How do we pray? Believe. God's your Father. Remember, his glory is what matters. Hope in his great kingdom promises and ask that he would give you what you need to do what he commands today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit who takes your word and takes it deep into our hearts. We don't want to just be people mindlessly following the world's agenda and the world's culture. 
We don't want to be the kind of people who are slaves to the world system. The world says jump, we say how high. We want to be people who think gospel, want gospel, live according to the gospel. And so thank you for your word, which shows us what we need and shows us how we should pray. And we just ask that your spirit would continue to work in us so that we might really not just talk about following you, Jesus, but be, but be people who, who follow you day after day. And we pray this in your name. Amen.